0: Love Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, also, I want to let you know we have a group now. So there's a page, and then there's a group, and the group is like you can talk about the show, your favorite guests, and also there are giveaways that are just for people in the group. So it might be your benefit to join the group. And uh, on the Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys, you can also email me, Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. You can listen to the show on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for all your support. This morning, I am speaking with someone across the palms. Um, It is afternoon for them, so they have done their day. They may go out partying later. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, but they have written several novels. Uh, one of them you may have heard of, The Hairdresser of Harare. Uh, the other, The Maestro, The Magistrate, and The Mathematician. They've been translated into multiple languages. He has won many awards. Uh, his newest book that we're talking about today, The Library of the Dead. Uh, this is Tio Huchu. Uh, he's also known as Tendai Huchu. Good afternoon, morning to you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Good morning, Joy. Thank you so much for for that introduction and for having me on your show. It's always exciting to speak with someone who's kind of slightly behind you in terms of the time zones because it's like speaking to the past, in a sense.
0: Mm It's a weird thing to
1: say when you start a conversation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you know... It's
1: about 4 p.m. in Edinburgh.
0: Yeah, and, you know, your book is a certain period in your book where they're dealing with time distortion and, and the distortion, like, where the character is, it would be 1 o'clock and then when she comes back into the realm, so to speak, or, or, or the alternate reality type, it's a different time. So your book is dealing with time issues, uh, this book, of The Library of the Dead. But before we get into the book, I found out you're a marathoner. You're a runner.
1: Yes, I am. And I'm I'm just, you know, before this show, I was getting my gear ready because I'm running sort of like the virtual version of uh, the London Marathon tomorrow morning and really bracing myself for it, um, you know, because you do your preparation, you've got your running gels, you've got, you know, the proper running shoes, the proper gear.
0: Mm -hmm. The weather isn't
1: looking great. I'm doing it from Edinburgh. I'm doing the virtual edition, so I I didn't travel down to London. Um, But the weather has been a bit iffy, uh, so I might have to run out in the rain
0: for about four hours tomorrow, which is
1: so exciting. (laughs) Yeah,
0: very exciting. I'm so happy for you. Rain, whoopee. (laughs) No way. Oh, my God. That is crazy. How many marathons have you run? This is kind of the funny
1: thing. I I only did my first marathon distance um last year during the you know, the, the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. That was my first time. So I did I, I did uh again all these virtual marathons that were going on last year, I did the Comrades which is a South African thing, which is actually forty five kilometers and they have a ninety kilometer version which I wasn't ready for.
0: Mm. And
1: then I did two more, including the virtual London Marathon last year. And and you know, for a first time, I didn't do too badly at uh, at all. Um, okay. I've only been running properly for the last two years or so because I'm getting to that age where you really have to look after the body. You know, I I remember a time in my life where I could eat anything I wanted,
0: you know, mm. and really slow out times.
1: and not feel mm-hmm. any yeah <laughs> now I have to work for it, but but running is, is amazing. Ben, dolphins are worth it. i I enjoy the pain. I enjoy hitting the wall and going through it, and just that feeling that you get when you've done your 42 points you know or that's in kilometers. Um, you're 26 miles. Yeah,
0: so you, 26 you you're
1: Americans and and your imperial system, go metric man. <laughs>
0: Look, well, Since I was in elementary school, like, you know, the first, first schooling here, elementary school, they've been talking about when is the U.S. going to go metric. It hasn't happened. I'm 51, you know. I don't know. And also, when are we going to learn other languages, you know? They say that the best time for kids to learn language is when they're young. We still here teach kids the language when they're in high school. Who in high school is paying attention to anything? All your hormones are going on. You're looking at the other girl. You're looking at the other boy or the other girl, girl, whatever. Nobody's paying attention to language. So we're just behind in a lot of ways. But I am ahead because I'm having you on. See, so we're having this enlightened discussion right now. (laughs) Oh, my God. So now,
1: Trust me, for, for those of us across the pond, you Americans are strange people really
0: strange strange people people. okay what's strange tell me something
1: else strange about us go ahead no the the way that um you just do your stuff out there the 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 assumption that america is the world and and the world i mean i'm gonna even say cliched stuff like how you have like a world series and it's just you americans and it's like oh you, you're, like, world champion. It's like, no. <laughs> There's a lot more. There's about 300 other countries out there, you know. But, hey, America is big, so maybe it feels like that when you're out there. I haven't mm. been yet, um, you know. And I, I remember some time ago, there there was a tentative sort of, like, invitation from an American university. Yes. And I was like, yo, guys, you know, as a black dude, are you going to give me, like, a bulletproof vest and, and like a flat jacket or something just in case I get shot, you know, by a police mm. officer fearing for their lives.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's crazy. crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. That, I mean, yeah. and it's a real thing. Like, it sounds um, not real, but it is a real thing for you to actually think about because you could just be walking down the street trying to go to your apartment or meet some friends at, at dinner uh, listening to your Walkman, and then all of a sudden someone's like, oh, there's a strange guy walking through my neighborhood. And then the police ride up on you and it's like, what are you doing here? And you're like, what am I doing here? I'm going to dinner. I'm I'm going home. You don't live there. Show me. I mean, it's a very real thing. And actually, one of the things that African Americans deal with is high blood pressure. And many studies have been done recently that racism is um, adding to that blood pressure or creating blood pressure um, because of this constant threat you know that they may face um so if you stay in scotland you all right you stay in scotland i think you'll be all right
1: yeah i do okay i mean i mean there
0: I'm is the, the, that
1: history and the, those and those linkages and, and and the commonalities but um you know scotland is pretty mellow and and chilled i mean no place in the world is is, is perfect in terms of, of race grace and stuff like that but um Compared to America, Scotland is, is fit for human habitation.
0: No, oh, wow. So, all right, we talked about this running. Now, what's up with the enigma of Alfred? What What was that about? Oh my God! Yes, oh my God! <laughs> go ahead. Tell them about the enigma of Alfred. What are you so,
1: um... <laughs> I've just finished my O levels, my GCSEs. The, the, these exams that you do in Zimbabwe when you turn about 15, 16, thereabouts. I, I was 16, I believe. And among my O-levels, and I want to write a novel. Now I'm young, and and most of the stuff that I've been reading in our school libraries, like the school that the schools that I went to, um, were sort of what they call Group A schools, which were the former all-white schools in Zimbabwe. So Zimbabwe was a British colony from about 1890 to 1980, and we had the kind of, like, apartheid-like segregation that was there. Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously, after independence, that system got dismantled, but the schools that I was going to, all the books and stuff in them were these books that were had been placed there for Rhodesian white kids.
0: Okay. So you can
1: imagine the literature that I was reading, and, and, and at the time, you know, I thought, I wasn't seeing any literature that kind of, like, really... Uh, meaningfully represented people like me. So I thought, I'm going to write this book called The Enigma of Alfred, um, which was about a drunk Scotsman in a castle somewhere in the middle of nowhere who ruled the world remotely, kind of like Illuminati style. And mm. I gave it a go, but you know, <laughs> but at that age, you know, writing, it, it, it's all right to have an idea. I mean, everyone you, you speak to, particularly I'm a writer, and, and the amount of times just Random people say, ah, I'll give you an idea and it's going to be a bestseller. And you're like, well, no, everyone's got ideas. Everyone's a storyteller. But what you need is technique and craft, how to create a novel. Yes. Those are the things that uh, most people don't realize. So at that age, I obviously didn't have the technical skills to, to construct. sort of like 90, 100,000 words of, you know, a um, of a novel, and and mm-hmm. so it was a failure, but it it was a juvenile attempt, and I, I can kind of look back and say, okay, so, I was always meant to be a writer because I kind of started a bit early.
0: Mm-hmm. What did your parents and your family think about you being a writer? Were they like, um, I thought you were going to be a lawyer or a doctor? What what was their opinion yeah. of it? Did did they support you? <laughs> No, okay.
1: um, I mean, being a writer it, it, it isn't exactly like a, a, a career choice. I mean, I, you did read books, but I didn't know any, any authors or, or anything like that. So, so it wasn't a viable thing. I remember after high school, my dad kind of forcing me to go into the University of Zimbabwe to do a mining engineering degree. Mm. Um, I only lasted half a semester. Uh, before I dropped out, but you were meant to have like a proper occupation and a proper job. And, and looking back, hey, I can understand that because being an artist is a precarious thing, um, thing to do. And and for parents of a certain generation, this this wasn't you know th- this wasn't something that they they understood. But obviously now you know I'm a bit older and doing it. They appreciate it because they kind of see the results of what it is I do,
0: yeah, now they're holding up your books, um probably line them up in front of their house window, and like see oh did you see the book? Did you get his latest book <laughs> you know um it's been, it's been it's been translated into you know German and this and that and other uh, what language do you speak we got it for you, you know, so um I'm sure they're very happy for you right now. But let's get into this book, The yeah. Library of the Dead. You know, there was another book written called The Library of the Dead, um, but this is a different take here. And as a matter of fact, you're going to read some of it for the audience. Uh, before you read, tell them a little bit about it, and then you can go into reading, you know, the, the section you chose.
1: Okay, so um, The Library of the Dead is the story about Ropa. She's She's about fourteen, going on fifteen, and she's what they call a ghost stoker, and what's been described as a slightly dystopian, futuristic version of of Edinburgh. And she earns a living, delivering messages to to the dead for a fee. So she's kind of like your UPS, you know, or telegram service. She receives messages from your dead relatives, and you pay her. For them, Mm -hmm. But in this first chapter of the book, um, she also does a little bit of exorcism on the side. And she's visiting this couple called the McGregors in Juniper Green, which is, you know, a neighborhood just on the outskirts of Edinburgh. um, And they have um, a ghostly problem to deal with. So the section that I'm going to read here is just her kind of meeting them and doing her thing. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for that, Joy?
0: I am ready. Go ahead. Lay it on me.
1: Okay. I've asked the McGregors to turn off the lights around the house, and the only illumination comes from a lamp in the corner of the room. The light creeps up the walls, painting a half-moon on the ceiling, and everything else is in the shadow of the lampshade. The telly's off, and in the silence we can hear each other breathe. The couple hold hands sitting in two-seater nearest the window, so I'm on my own on the big sofa. Been here three hours already. It's not yet the witching hour, but I feel a slight chill in the air, the subtle drop of temperature that makes me reach for my coat until I remember myself. How much longer? Mr. McGregor asks in a whisper. I hold up my hand, stop him from speaking. He might as well be asking about the length of a piece of string. In any case, breaking the silence will only ruin things. Already ask them to be good little church mice. The chill in the air hits them. Condensation vapor comes out of their mouths. They move closer to one another, the mister throwing an arm around the missus. The little hairs on my arms rise and goose pimples prick up all over my skin. The noise is awful in the silence. I sit up, lean forward, put my elbows on my knees, clasping my hands together. The lamplight flickers. The flowers on the mantelpiece rustle, shedding fresh petals onto the floor. A creaking noise comes from the wood beams in the ceiling. Something sickening wafts through the air. Less a scent it's the feeling of the forbidden, of sin decadence, decadence, the smashing of a taboo that leaves an open wound on the soul of the world. The tongs strike the copper bucket, ringing out like a Chinese gong. Mr. McGregor makes a fist, bites down on his knuckles. Something turns the doorknob. A squeak escapes Mrs. McGregor's throat. The door opens and shuts with a bang. It opens again and shuts, opens, shuts the bucket. Picture, a statuette falls to the wall. God help us, Mr. McGregor wells and crosses himself left shoulder, then right. Curtains, windows rattling. Commotion and chaos. Small objects flung through the air. An ethereal grey figure rushing hither and thither in the dimness, knocking the furniture over. This must be an old specter for it to have the power to so touch the material world. I watch as it throws the door open again. Are you done? I say, looking at the abhorrent apparition. It looks back at me, all dark eyes with an eerie tunnel running through its face in place of a mouth. It screams a horrible screw like a slow-cut throat in a slaughterhouse. A wind rises in the room with its squill, and it rushes towards me, mouth wide open from floor to chin as though it would eat me. The pages of a magazine on the coffee table flip open as the specter bears down and stops right in front of my face with a terrible howl. I said, are you done, sir? I reach for my backpack and stand up. This is quite the racket you're making here so from that piece you, you get a flavor of what ropa is as, as as a as a character you know ghosts don't say that at all but this mm-hmm. is only sort of like the beginning of the book because later on she gets asked by another ghost to find missing kids in edinburgh and you know this really sort of like introduces her or throws her into the dark side of of magic in the city yeah edinburgh is a, is a city full of ghosts and If you're looking for a Halloween read, something that will, you know, show you, but just at the right level, you know, you you don't want to go too deep into that then. This is what you want to spend your time with on on Halloween.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it was like like I could turn the lights out and read it. Um, You could could still have the lights out and read the book, um, but you may not want to drink milk anymore after you read the book. I'm not going to say any more about that because I don't want to give too much away. but I'm just saying you're probably not going to want to drink milk after this. You know what I'm talking about, Tindai. <laughs> I, I
1: I know exactly what you're talking about. Beware the milkman, That's all oh, I can man. say.
0: See, I wasn't even going to give him the whole name, but okay, you gave him the milkman. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this character, you know what I love about it? This character is a a young lady. Um, And a lot of times when I was growing up reading fantasy uh, books, the main character was always a man or a young boy who was, you know, basically um, rites of passage type of thing. And once he was able to slay the dragon, and I'm putting that in quotes, you know, then he was able to grow up. Um, So I love that this is a young woman who is, fearless because she's walking around making money talking to the dead. Um, and she doesn't seem to be scared. And you can see right now in that first uh, interaction, and um, she has some deeper ones, like you said. I think it's really great in a lot of young women. If, they, if you're a parent out there, this, this is a good book. If you have a child who reads fantasy, uh, this, this is a really great uh, book uh, for, for a young lady because is the main character. Now, um, I was reading that you were basing some of this on Scottish Enlightenment. And, um, you know, the Scottish Enlightenment, the Encyclopedia Britannica came out of that period, and I I didn't know that. But tell us a little more why you think you based this around the Scottish Enlightenment.
1: Yeah. um, (laughs) I've I've lived in Scotland. I've I've been here for about, like, 15, 16 years now, um, in the UK for about 20. I I lived in England before, before I moved up to Scotland. And once you get to know the history, and and, and the beauty of Scotland is the history is all around you. Um, Once you get to sort of like know that history and how it affects the way the society is shaped, you begin to kind of realize that certain things that you take for granted um, are actually the process of years of kind of like... um, historical advances and and retreats in certain areas. So Scotland, uh, if if you think about Scotland, uh, before it joined the Union in 1707, right, Scotland Mm. was the poorest nation in Western Europe, all right? But it had one thing going for it. It it was sort of like the first nation to experiment with, um, you know, education for all kids of Mm. primary school-going age and it, it had a couple of great universities, Edinburgh and, and and Glasgow being being some of them. So there was this education going on, but Scotland joins the union, um, and, and there's a long history behind that, the union with, with England, and begins to share in the empire that the English were building, right? So money starts flowing in from the colonies, so it becomes involved in slavery and empire-making and all that. And and the signs are there. If if you Mm. know the history and just wander through Edinburgh, now most tourists will come and look at this beautiful architecture and stuff. But I have a friend of mine called Lisa Williams, who's originally from Grenada. Mm. And she does these fascinating kind of like um, history walks where she'll tell you, you see that building? Um, That building there was built by money from um, this slave owners you know when the emancipation happened the slave mm-hmm. owners got tons of money compensation for loss of their human property the slaves obviously didn't get anything
0: uh, you know mm-hmm. what
1: did they say something about 40 acres and a mule that that didn't yeah. happen but the slave mm-hmm. owners got a, a lot of money uh for it and and they used this money to build these really beautiful buildings and and stuff that you find in edinburgh but you wouldn't know about this bloody history because it's been sanitized over time, right? Um, this is just the way these things happen. But what I was trying to do, um, you know, was to have a book that set slightly in the future, but that future resembles the past. So what most people call a dystopian Edinburgh is kind of just an Edinburgh that Well, I've played around with time, and and, and time has been fractured. So it's not the kind of linear time that, you know, we experience. But you have an Edinburgh that has elements of its history reintroduced in a future setting. Mm -hmm. And that was particularly important to me because as as the story progresses, I I believe what I'm doing is is through the story, and, and it's a very subtle game, or hopefully a subtle game that I'm playing, which is introducing kind of all these other histories gradually within the series. So by the time you get to the end of the series, you'll have a better understanding of why Scotland and, and by extension the world, because the Scottish Enlightenment, when you think about education and science, if you think about economics, right? Adam Smith, mm. the, the, the famous sort of like economist, that's, he's Scottish. David Hume, You know, if you think about rationalism or uh, empiricism, those kind of sort of like philosophical ideas, they originated here in Scotland. So Scotland is a very small nation, but um, its impact on shaping the world we live in today is really enormous. And and that's the story that I'm trying to tell within this particular narrative. Um, It's almost like to say empire is done now but the chickens have come home to roost. In a sense.
0: <laughs>
1: and that's... Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I think, um, yeah. I think you uh, did a, a good job on that. And and you mentioned, as you were speaking now, this is a series. So the next book I read is called Our Lady of Mysterious Ailments. What can we expect to see in that one? That's, that's going to come out next year.
1: Yeah, that's coming out next March. Um our Lady of Mysterious Elements again, Ropa is roped in to um, to investigate the case of a, a sick kid. Um, so Edinburgh, Scotland has four schools of magic, and the, the school of magic in, in Edinburgh is called the Edinburgh Ordinary School for Boys, and their pupils that are falling sick from some unknown malady, and she has to investigate, which again opens up all these dark secrets from the past. So you're going to have more villainous villains and some exciting history and, you know, ghosts naturally
0: and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And and is it going to be a third book? So it's a three-part? Is that what you're trying to do here?
1: Well, um, I've got a two-book deal to do I mean these two books, *The Library of the Dead* and, and *Our Lady*? They are complete arcs in and of themselves. Um, I'm hoping that you know we we get a chance to to see the series through. My plan that I'd envisioned um, so far is a complete arc of of five books, but both both novels are kind of like standalone. So um, I'm in talks with my publishers to see if we we will complete the series. Um, but with these things, a lot a lot depends on on how the readers receive the work and and if the work is actually is actually selling. But it's promising at the moment, um, and all the signs are I will get to finish the series as I intended. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean she's at a good age because it's a young lady. She's a teen, so you could write five books and she would still, you know, be growing as a person and adult, and probably her skills will. Were- grow and develop. I I could definitely, you know, be that. Now, you know, your other books were not fantasy. Is this something you decide to, going to decide to stay with or are you going to go back and forth? What do you think you would do after the series? Like, would you go back to a kind of um, political, social, political type of storyline?
1: Well, I I view sort of like genre and and literary fiction, which is what I did before, is is its own kind of like genre it's just a genre it's the same as fantasy or romance and and all those and crime etc mm-hmm. but genre you know it it becomes a a tool right it, it's a narratological sort of like device to prime the reader um and tell the story that you want to tell as as the writer and so a fantasy reader will have certain expectations of when they encounter the text that a literary reader might not which a crime reader might not, um and, and so on. So for me, um, working in, in fantasy is, is because this is the story that I wanted to tell. But obviously it's published as T L Uchu, not Tendai Uchu, which is what I use to publish my literary fiction. And I'll go back and forth. It it, it all kind of depends on on what story I'm trying to tell. Um, I'm I'm happy to move around within within genres because I enjoy them. Each, each one has its own kind of like, should we say advantages and disadvantages and sort of like through that, the, the really interesting part creatively is, is crafting your story within sort of like maximizing sort of like the advantageous parts of, of how that genre works and minimizing sort of like the other bits. Um, Mm -hmm. And I find I find it very stimulating to work across different genres. Um, if, if you really think about it, you know, um, even the the bifurcation or sort of like the the stratification of genres is kind of fairly historically recent, right? If, if you read Dickens, you know, Great Expectations is radically different from um, A Christmas Carol, which. Yeah modern publishers would, would say might be a, a bit of fantasy and stuff like that. So most writers enjoy working in different genres, but um, the way the industry works is, and I can really understand the rationale, right? Because if, if you pick up a John Grisham novel, you know what you're getting, right? And, yeah, and there, there is mm-hmm. a reason for that. And, and, and if, if, if Grisham were to suddenly um, write a space opera, it, it, it might be shocking to the system.
0: Yeah, people might be like, "What?" Let me ask you this. I I see you into cricket. Now, can you explain shortly, just real quick, what is cricket like? Tell Americans what is cricket, and tell us who your favorite team is.
1: Cricket is the superior. It's superior to baseball.
0: Wow, we just started off with superior. Oh my
1: god. Uh. <laughs> Everyone else in the world <laughs> plays plays cricket, except for you guys and Cuba uh. and, and and Japan okay. for some
0: reason. <laughs> well, I I could say something about the Japanese <laughs> thing, but I, I, we have to do that Elfo offline. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead, go ahead. Okay, just a serious thing. Just serious. Okay, go ahead. Explain the situation. Go ahead. But but, but yeah,
1: I mean <laughs> yeah. I I used to. <laughs> I, I used to play cricket in, in, in school. I wasn't particularly good at it. I, I was one of those players that kind of made up the numbers, but I still have a love for the sport. Uh, you know. So you're on a horse, right? To...
0: You're on a horse and you're trying to you're... hit the ball into the little bowling thing, right? Is that what you, that that's what it is? Right? No! no, no. Oh my god. Oh, that's okay. Polo. Oh, that's polo. that is polo. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Cricket, Explain the cricket. Okay, go ahead. I'm being funny. You know All right, so yeah, I know I know. Um
1: that was brilliant, right? Yeah, so so you've got you've got eleven players um on each side, right? Yeah. So the first team goes in fielding, you know, which is similar to baseball. But you have two batsmen on the pitch at any given time. So you've got mm-hmm. your wickets on either side. Two batsmen, and the team that is fielding bowls to the batsmen, and they are attempting to hit, to hit the wickets, yeah. um, to get them out. Or if they catch the ball in the air before it goes to ground, then that's also like um, they catch them out. For the okay. batsmen, if they hit, if they hit the ball and they run between them, between the two of them, run across from one wicket to the other one run if they hit the ball outside the boundary um if, if it flies outside the boundary through the air that's six points if it rolls down outside the boundary that's four points there's a lot of like really intricate rules to it um, okay. but it is fascinating stuff um but i particularly enjoy sort of like the more modern version which is the um, 25 over version which is you know, they play, each team has like, sorry, 20 overs, and they play for about two, three hours, whereas traditionally the test matches could last five days. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know. Wow. Yeah. You, when I was growing up, you, you'd find Zimbabwe sort of like playing other, it, it's a, Zimbabwe is a test-playing nation, and we had all these other countries coming to play cricket, and you could go for these games and you'd be going back there to watch them over a period of five days before the game is done.
0: Mm, well, I yeah. don't have that much time to, to do that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to just have to stick <laughs> with, um, like, the one, like, couple-hour game and, and then and go drink some beers and stuff like that. Isn't that what you guys do? Is that, is that what you do after the game and everybody's happy and go drink some beers?
1: Oh, yeah, that's, that's that's the way to do it. I mean, I mean <laughs> you, you do have beers while watching the game, which is more exciting. And obviously, ah! when, when you're outside, <laughs> and and when you're watching it, right, mm. you naturally think you're better than the professional players on the pitch for some reason. Even though of I course. was a dire cricket player, I I still sort of like, you know, say all this nonsense to to my friends as as, as, if, as if I still got it when I never had it.
0: Well, <laughs> well, well, you have it in writing, so let's stick with that. We know that you're a great writer, and I'm definitely looking forward to the second book, Our Lady of the Serious Ailments. I'm going to be giving away some copies of your book, um, The Library of the Dead, so I encourage people to follow me on Twitter, at Joy Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy tees and on Instagram. And tell the audience how they can find you on social media.
1: Yeah, they can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Tendai Uchu, which is just my full name and surname. Tendai is T-E-N-D-A-I Uchu, H-U-C-H-U, Yeah. I would love hearing from readers, so feel free to give me a shout.
0: Yeah, give them a shout. You never know; you could end up in like a story or something. That's how those writers do it. Don't you know how they do it? Like, you find little tidbits sometimes and put them in stories.
1: Of course, of course. course. I'm I'm I'm, I'm actually making notes, and I'm gonna do that to you just now.
0: (laughs) all right we're gonna end the show now we're gonna end the show now okay i'm gonna hang on (laughs) no but thank you so much again for for coming on the show today it was such a pleasure speaking with you i I hope you enjoyed the conversation i I did it was really great and, and and a lot
1: of fun joy you're absolutely amazing and give me a shout when you come to scotland
0: i definitely will i definitely will all right you take it easy okay you have a great weekend Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel.